Welcome to Music History Monday for October 4th, 2021. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Lending a Hand. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. Before moving on to the main topic for today's post, I would like to announce a new feature here on Music History Monday, something called This Day in Musical Stupid. I explain. As regular listeners of this podcast know, I will occasionally dedicate a post to the shenanigans and sometimes plain old idiocy of musicians as they go about their daily lives and business. More often, frankly, far more often than not, such antics are perpetrated by pop, rock, rap, and hip-hop artists. But frankly, not always. In the past, if there is a topic of genuine import on a given Monday, I would ignore such events. In the past, I have only reported them when there was nothing else to talk about. My thinking on this has changed. Why should I deny you the special pleasure that observing other people's stupidity can give? Well, exactly. So whenever I can, I will initiate a Music History Monday post with just such a date-appropriate event. Here's today's This Day in Musical Stupid. On October 4th, 1999, 22 years ago today, it was announced that the sister of Jimi Hendrix, who himself lived from 1942 to 1970, was planning to remove his body from the Greenwood Cemetery in Renton, Washington, a suburb of Hendrix's native Seattle, and relocate it to a mausoleum where fans could visit on a pay-per-view basis. Additionally, plans were announced to sell burial sites near the mausoleum to the highest bidders. Alas, these plans never came to fruition. None of the sources I accessed for this information specified which of Hendrix's two sisters came up with the idea, whether it was Kathy Hendrix, who was born in 1950, or Pamela Hendrix, who was born in 1951. Frankly, it would seem to make a little difference as the members of Hendrix's family, including his father, his two brothers, his nieces and nephews, etc., have been doing seemingly everything in their power, including endlessly suing each other in order to cash in on Jimmy's name and legacy. This has been going on for over 50 years, since almost the moment he died on September 18, 1970, at the age of 27. As recently as January 13, 2021, an article appeared in The Guardian entitled, quote, Jimi Hendrix family dispute escalates over use of name. 
brother and niece found to have infringed injunction from company run by guitarist's stepsister, preventing them from using the Hendrix name commercially, unquote. Writing in 2017, the rock and roll writer and critic Peter Sheridan related this story about a visit to Jimi Hendrix's grave with his father Al in 1997. Quote, Hushed in reverential silence, we stood beside Jimi Hendrix's grave, the guitar legend's father and I. The rocker's gravestone was strewn with gifts from fans, notes, flowers, guitar picks, cigarettes, toy cars, small figurines, and dozens of coins of all denominations. I stepped back to give Al Hendricks a moment alone with his son. After a few minutes, I returned to Al's side and softly asked, When you stand beside your son's grave, what are you thinking? Al looked up and smiled. I was counting the money, unquote. Hugs, kisses, and thank yous to the parasitic vultures of the Hendrix family for being the collective object of this first installment of This Day in Musical Stupid. On please to more rarefied musical climbs. On October 4th, 2017, four years ago today, the Chinese pianist Lang Lang, his left hand incapacitated by injury, performed George Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue at Carnegie Hall with the assistance of a 14-year-old pianist named Maxime Lando, who played Gershwin's left-hand part using both of his hands. Some gratuitous personal information offered for a good reason. I was first married in 1981. The marriage lasted 18 years and produced two children, my daughter Rachel, now 35, and my son Samuel, now 31. I had met my future wife in Berkeley, California in January of 1980 when I became her accompanist. She was a soprano. When I first told my parents back in New Jersey about my new girlfriend, I told them two things that gave them pause. One, that she was from Santa Rosa, California, and two, that she was, along with being a soprano and a history major, a runner. Santa Rosa, California, my mother repeated, sarcastically extending the vowels in her Brooklyn accent. I explained that it was a smallish city, roughly 60 miles north of San Francisco. Santa Rosa, California, she repeated. Then my father offered up his two shekels. A runner. When I was growing up, the only reason someone had to run was if they were running away from someone. My folks were old school, sometimes, bless them, even a bit old world. By marrying her, I married into a family of long-distance runners. My ex's father, mother, older brother, and one of her younger sisters were all marathoners. Her father was still running marathons into his 70s, winning age group medals every time. 
My ex competed in half marathons and 10K races. She got up every day at 6 a.m. and ran six miles before I got out of bed. It sort of goes without saying that when you get involved with a family like this one, you are expected to participate in the family hobby slash craziness. I did my best. I had always been fast on my feet and a decent athlete, but I discovered soon enough that I was physically incapable of flopping out of bed and running six miles without doing grievous damage to my knees and lower back. Despite my relative youth, I was in my late 20s and early 30s, I had exceeded my physical limits and I paid the price. Just so, musicians who are in their own right athletes must know their physical limits. Yes, we, we read about Franz Liszt, 1811 to 1886, holing up in 1831 at the age of 20 and practicing seven, eight, nine hours a day for six years to attain his staggering technique. But Liszt was a physical freaking freak, and his practice regimen should have destroyed him. That's because the greatest workplace danger facing any committed musician is overtraining, overpractice. There's not a single musical instrument that does not pose some sort or sorts of physical danger to its players. Lip and facial injuries, shoulder tendonitis and bursitis, back and neck injuries. But no part of the human body has a more complex skeletal and muscular structure than the hand. And it is in the hand and wrist that many of the most debilitating injuries occur in the form of acute tendonitis caused by repetitive stress and overexertion. Hand and wrist tendonitis is the bane of every piano player, and pianists must measure the gain of long practice hours against the threat of real injury. Pretty much all pianists experience injury here and there, for which rest is the best prescription. But many important pianists have faced serious career-threatening and sometimes career-ending injuries, including Robert Schumann, Gary Grafman, Leon Fleischer, Wanda Landowska, Artur Schnabel, Alexander Skriabin, Ignaz Friedman, Sergei Rachmaninoff, Clara Schumann, Glenn Gould, who, by the way, died 39 years ago today, Michael Beroff, Richard Good, and Murray Pariah, to name but a few. To this list, let us now add the pianist Lang Lang. Born in Shenyang, China on June 14, 1982, he has had a spectacular international career since he was a teenager. In 1999, at the age of 17, the famed pianist Earl Wilde called him, quote, the J-Lo of the piano, unquote, a statement that's not quite as kind as it might seem once we consider it. Lang Lang did indeed cross over the line between concert and popular music as a teenager, but at a price. He wasn't called Bang Bang in those years for no reason. But he has matured, and at 39, he is today an outstanding ambassador of his art. 
Here's what happened to Lang Lang. In early 2017, he was contracted to perform Maurice Ravel's Piano Concerto for Left Hand of 1930. The concerto had been commissioned by the Viennese-born Austrian pianist Paul Wittgenstein, 1887-1961, who had lost his right arm to a bullet during World War I. The 35-year-old Lang Lang, who should have known better, tried to learn the piece too quickly. Instead, in what he called, quote, a stupid practice of Ravel's left-hand concerto, unquote, he seriously injured his left hand. Quote, I was not paying so much attention. I was already tiring, and I pushed to practice, unquote. Lang Lang began canceling his concerts in March 2017. He simply could not play and needed, above all, to rest his left arm and hand. But there was an upcoming gig that he could simply not bear to miss, and that was Carnegie Hall's annual gala, scheduled for October 4th, 2017, four years ago today. Lang Lang did not want to miss this performance. You see, it wasn't going to be your everyday garden variety, splishy splashy, razzle dazzle gala type performance. Instead, it was to be a performance of the rarely heard two piano and orchestra version of George Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, with Yannick Neze Seguin conducting the Philadelphia Orchestra and the other piano part played by, wait for it, the wonderful Chick Corea, 1941 to 2021. Something had to be done to preserve the gig. So Lang Lang brought in his protege, the then 14-year-old American pianist Maxime Lando, to lend a hand or two. Lando sat on the piano bench to Lang Lang's left and served as Lang Lang's left hand, though it should be noted that because he could, Lando used both of his hands to play the left hand part. The New York Times music critic Michael Cooper observed a rehearsal. Quote, At a rehearsal on Friday afternoon in Manhattan, Mr. Lang's right hand flew dexterously up and down the keyboard while his injured left, sometimes conducted, sometimes turned pages of the score, sometimes beat time on his thigh, and sometimes rested on Mr. Lando's shoulder. Together, they traded syncopated riffs with Mr. Correa, who sat at his own piano facing them." Unquote. Lang Lang's official pre-concert announcement read, quote, With the artistry of the legendary Chick Corea and the exciting young talent Maxime Lando, we hope to delight the audience and take a little pressure off my left arm while it continues to heal, unquote. Lang Lang recovered from what is now being called his career-threatening bout of tendinitis though it did indeed take him over a year to resume a full schedule. While at 39 years of age, he's still a young dude. We trust the lesson has been learned. He's not getting any younger, and he will do well to be more careful with his hands in the future. Thank you.
to sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.